1: With you every step of the way, here's your host, Greg Peterson.
0: Do you wanna save money at the grocery store? Eat more organic, whole foods? Cultivate food security and feel more connected to the earth? If so, then growing your own food is a no-brainer. You wouldn't believe how many people come to me claiming that they can't grow their own food. They think they don't have enough space, that they're too busy, or that they simply don't have what it takes. Perhaps you've fallen for one of these gardening myths. If you think you can't grow food, or if you think the only food that you have access to is what you buy in the grocery store, I have a life-changing webinar that you need to see. It's free and will help you unearth your inner gardener. I've helped thousands of people just like you learn to grow their own food, and I'm speaking from my own experience when I say that with the right knowledge in place, There is no such thing as a black thumb. With this webinar, you can begin making your garden dreams come true and start growing delicious, nutritious food for your family. Just text GARDEN to 44222 or go to Iwanttogarden.com and you will receive our free webinar about the seven key factors you need to know to grow your own food. Remember, that's GARDEN to 44222 or iwanttogarden.com. Today on the Urban Farm Podcast, we have featured farmer Ray Jess to talk about wicking garden beds. After retiring from two careers, the Air Force, and teaching, he pursued his love of food by graduating from the Phoenix Art Institute with a certificate in culinary arts. The highlight of his culinary experience was working as the chef for the 2007 Super Bowl at the University of Phoenix Stadium. Natural extensions for this self-proclaimed foodie were the completion of his master gardening training and his certificate in permaculture design. A love of fresh foods and herbs has kept him gardening for the last two decades, and during a volunteer component of his master gardener training, Ray discovered wicking garden beds. A man of curiosity and a seeker of ways to do things more efficiently, he embarked on a research project leading him to the father of wicking beds, Colin Austin. As a result of his research, his backyard garden has evolved from row crops in a plot of ground and raised beds to grow buckets and wicking beds. He is currently keeping his eyes open for the next great idea to perfect his garden so he can keep giving his family, friends, and neighbors fresh produce. Welcome to the show today, Ray. Thank you. It's good to be here. Oh my gosh, absolutely. Talking about wicking beds. We had uh, Colin Austin on recently. He's one of your... Mentors from afar, yes.
2: Absolutely, I go to his website frequently to answer questions that I have.
0: Mm, perfect, perfect. He's a we 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 like to call him the father of wicking beds. So, so I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at now?
2: No, absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I started. I've done two careers. I've, I've had teaching, mm-hmm. and I've had a military career and you know it all leads to food because food has been so important in my life as i was growing up uh the way my my mother would show love was through giving food to others and mm. and helping volunteering mm-hmm. and i think that that has lent me to have the same idea so i went through culinary school to learn how to prepare food better wow uh I've gone through master gardener training to learn how to garden better, which was the small picture, because I always thought there was something larger after that. Through a friend of mine, I discovered the permaculture design course. Oh, yes. Finally gave me the big picture. Now I had the, the small picture, the big picture, and the means to put it all together. And I just love gardening.
0: Nice. Nice. So you brought up the word permaculture. I'd like for you to define that.
2: You know, to me, permaculture is working with nature to have a sustainable food system.
0: Mm. And that's what you're doing in your yard, right?
2: I am in, I'm working to make that happen more and more every season.
0: Yeah, perfect. So how did you get started gardening?
2: You know, my my father started. Gardening, when I was young, and every house that we lived in, um, he had some kind of a small garden. Of course, it was, you know, dig up the ground, till it, add stuff to it, and have your little rows, and, you know, you water it that way, and so on and so forth. But just the the fact we always had that good, nutritious, homegrown food. Hmm. In the old days, if you compared it to what you bought in the grocery stores, There was absolutely a world of difference Uh, in what he grew at home.
0: What were the first things that you grew?
2: (laughs) I I think I I grew really easy things like Mm -hmm. carrots, uh, tomatoes, and radishes, I believe.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, you know, that's a great place to start, eh?
2: Well, they're almost foolproof.
0: Right. Put them in the ground and especially with radishes oh my gosh you can get radishes in 28 days right (laughs) that's true and
2: they are so good i mean salads and other kinds of dishes that they would go in and bake them oh my goodness they're marvelous
0: yeah yeah exactly cool cool so what led you to the master gardener training
2: well i was working at one of the local nurseries for a few years and I interacted with the public so much, people always asked me, are you a master gardener? Are you a master gardener? My mm-hmm. answer was always no, but I'm trying to learn more every day. And finally, I, I was talking with somebody who was a master gardener, and they told me about the program, and I went to look it up online and, and looked at the things that it covered, and it interested me, and with the urging of that knowledge and my wife. Uh, that was kind of the, the push that I needed to go in that direction.
0: Right. Cool. So what did you get out of the program?
2: Oh, my goodness.
0: <laughs> I'd like, to, I'd like to hear that.
2: Oh, yeah. You know, it, it's like when I went to culinary school, I thought I was a good cook before I went. Uh-huh. And it wasn't until I got there that I realized how little I actually knew.
0: Uh-huh.
2: And the same goes for the Master Gardener program. I thought I was an all right food farmer until I went to the Master Gardener program, which started at the very basics. This is, this is what soil is. And, and mm. this is the break of how soil works and how the water works in the soil. And these are the plants. And this is how plants work, you know, with the water uptake and the transpiration. And, and then it goes to plant identification pruning, planting, and things that work together and things that don't work together. It was it was an eye-opening experience. Wow.
0: Cool. And then you had to take it one step further, or maybe many steps further, when you went to a permaculture design course. That's what we call in the permaculture world a PDC. It's a 72-hour design course. What did you get out of that?
2: <laughs> well, you know, again, I thought, I was a pretty good food farmer because I had learned throughout life and I went to the master gardener program and I thought I knew quite a bit Uh until I went to the permaculture design course. And then it was like, Oh, okay. I only knew a small portion. (laughs) And from the permaculture design course, I, I learned that, you know, the interaction between, you know, top growing plants and mid growing plants and, low-growing plants and those that give back nitrogen and fertilizers and so on back to the soil uh-huh. and how that continuously works. Rainwater harvesting and the, there are groups that are permaculture-based that help each other throughout the valley. So the network of people within that system helping other people is, is phenomenal.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm just going to throw in there. There's actually networks of people all over the world uh, that are doing permaculture. That's the cool thing. And there are permaculture design courses all over the world that that you can take. You know, and what I would suggest for people is that you, you know, put the name of your town in and, call, and permaculture design course after it and see what comes up. So, who is a permaculture design course for, Ray?
2: It really is for. Any and everybody, whether you're you're growing grasses, you're growing food, you're growing flowers, it really teaches you how to work more in concert with nature to make it easier for you and better mm-hmm. for the planet, and to make it not just sustainable, but thrive.
0: Yeah. Nice. Nice. Cool. I, I know that was a little bit of a distraction from our conversation about wicking beds, but you know, you, I, you, so Ray, just for full disclosure, Ray was in our fall permaculture design course here in Phoenix last fall. And so I, that's how I know Ray. And I could tell that it really lit you up, the permaculture design course.
2: It was a challenge to be in the permaculture design course because, you know, like my father did everything in rows and my military background was. <laughs> orderly, neat, and in rows, uh-huh. there is nothing in nature like that at all. And that was just the absolute largest hurdle that I had to overcome.
0: Oh, yes. Yeah. Well, perfect. Perfect. Thanks for sharing about that. Let's get on to the wicking beds. It seems like a a large topic out there of discussion these days. Our, our Colin uh, Wicking Bed episode has had an amazing amount of listens and and an article that you recently wrote for the urbanfarm.org on wicking beds uh, has gotten a lot of traction as well. So what is a wicking bed?
2: A wicking bed is a manner of growing food or flowers or what have you, just growing plants where you're watering from a reservoir underneath of the planting medium as uh-huh. opposed to on top. The advantages of it are immense. I mean, it uses 50% less water in most cases. Wow. You're not wasting your nutrients because you're not washing them away.
0: Yeah. That was, that was a big one that when you said that, it's a, you know, I've been trying to wrap my head around this whole wicking bed conversation for the past three or four years, and it's like, why bother? That one is a big one, not washing away your nutrients because we spend a lot of time and energy to get the nutrients there. So how do, how does it not wash the nutrients away?
2: In a typical garden bed, when you prepare your bed, you're putting the nutrients in, you're working them in, you're you're putting your your macronutrients, your your NPK fertilizers, yep. you're putting in your your azomite for your trace elements, you're putting in mycorrhizal, and these things are all there and they're beautiful and they're ready to go and you do your planting. Mhm. And then you start watering and in the typical bed, there is no bottom limit to the bed. Mm. Just water and you water and you water and it it dilutes. And as it goes deeper and deeper, it takes those nutrients away with it. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Conversely in a wicking bed, you are not watering from the top generally. Right. It, the water seeps up from the bottom through capillary action and evaporation. It waters from the bottom. It, it catches the nutrients at that root level where you have them. It, it puts them into solution. And it's an easier uptake for the root plant to take that nutrient into it. And hmm. it doesn't dissipate because there's no water washing it down into that reservoir and away.
0: Hmm. I have a... A piece of dirt in my backyard, and I want to put in a wicking bed. What's the process look like, starting from the outside in?
2: Okay, well, from the outside in is I defined the area that I wanted to put the the frame or the the box that Mm -hmm. will contain my wicking bed. And I leveled that dirt out. And the wood that I used, you can use any kind of wood or material to make the box of a wicking bed. Because That material will never touch the water, so there's Mm. no chemicals. I personally use 2x12 pine that I stained. I used that stain because it was supposed to be a permanent uh, stain that was weather resistant and so on, which was aesthetically pleasing. From that dirt and the box and that sand that I put at the bottom, to level things out and make sure that uh, there were no rocks that would puncture the pond liner that I put in Uh and I, I recommend pond liner as opposed to say, uh, like a painter's plastic or anything like that, because the painter's plastic will break down over time. Right. And a pond liner will will last a very long time Mm -hmm. from the pond liner. Being the insert, what I used for a, uh, the reservoir area mm-hmm. was small river rock, half, three-quarter inch river rock. And I, I chose river rock because it has smooth edges and I knew it wouldn't puncture the liner.
0: Oh, right, exactly.
2: With that rock, I determined the depth of my, my water reservoir to be about 10 inches or so. Oh, wow. And then I put a layer of shade cloth over the top which would then support my planting medium, which I filled to about 10 inches or so, because water has a wicking ability of about 11 and a half. So I wanted to have good transfer of moisture between the reservoir and the the top of the planting medium.
0: Wow, so there's a lot of physics that goes on here.
2: There is, Uh The, the idea of wicking beds seems so easy but there's actually a lot of science behind the development of it. Mm-hmm. Colin Austin was a phenomenal engineer that, that has been working on this for oh my goodness, twenty five plus years. Right. So yeah, you know, I don't profess that I would even come close to his knowledge, but I've done a lot of research and I've I've had some ups, and downs, some rights and wrongs, but it's it's still going well.
0: <laughs> Well, that's the part, that's the learning process, right?
2: We all go through it. Yeah, exactly.
0: Hopefully. Exactly. So they look like raised beds, and you line them after you put the sand down, you line them with a pond liner. Where do you get pond liners at?
2: Um, I got mine online. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I know that there are different vendors uh, available online for pond liners, and I know that there are box stores that you can buy it at or, or you know, home stores that you can buy it at. Yeah.
0: All right, a pond liner, so it's a thicker liner, and then you put you said you put eight to ten inches of rock at the uh, river rock at the bottom
2: i did and the, there were two reasons for that uh-huh. one is that it has to create a a void for air to be able to get in uh-huh uh because if you don't have air in with your your water the water is going to get stagnant and stink and and not be very effective mm. uh, and two it was the base to lay the the fabric on so that the uh, planting medium wouldn't just fall through and and fill in all those empty spaces between the rocks.
0: Perfect. So, and that planting medium, that's like compost and potting soil and basically what you're going to grow your groceries in.
2: Absolutely. And and you have to think that it has to be nutritious because if there's no nutrients in the soil, Mm -hmm. there's not going to be nutrients in your food.
0: Yeah. Wow. All right. Cool. So now we have this raised bed with the pond liner in it, the rocks in the bottom, the the shade cloth in between, and your soil on top. Now what?
2: Well, I also put in a uh, a fill pipe into oh, right. that rock
1: mm-hmm.
2: to, to get the water to go into the reservoir. And I also put a drain pipe with a site tube so that I could see the water level and be able to drain the uh, reservoir twice a year.
0: Got it. Why do we need to do that?
2: Well, in Arizona, we have very hard water. And as the water evaporates and some of it, you know, most of it is taken up into the plants, those hard water minerals and salts are not transferred into the plant themselves. So what that does is it accumulates in the water that's in the reservoir. So about twice a year, it's beneficial to flush out that water that is laden with the minerals and, and the salts and yeah. things like that. And if we overwater, that nutrient that may have gotten into the the reservoir will also be drained out. Mm-hmm. And then just fill it back up, and you're good for another six months or so.
0: Got it. Got it. So why do you like wicking beds over standard raised beds?
2: You know, I I grew up in various homes with raised beds that I had made Mm -hmm. but for me living in the desert the water conservation using 40 to 50 percent less water than a surface water bed was a big deal because water is a finite resource and if I only have to water uh, my bed maybe once every two to three weeks then that's a bonus for me yeah Wicking beds, because the surface of the planting medium is generally drier,
1: uh-huh.
2: it allows more air into the medium, plus it does not allow weeds to germinate, yeah. because the weeds would need the the moisture, and it's not there. Oh, right. You know, the the fact that I can leave for a couple of weeks and still know that my plants are going to be watered mm-hmm. is, is a beneficial deal, but I think the biggest thing is that I'm growing my own nutritious food at home for myself and if I have access for my neighbors. Right.
0: Nice. Nice. Oh, okay, good. So here's a question that you asked me to ask you and that's you don't consider yourself a farmer, but you're always sending visitors home with veggies. Tell me about that.
2: <laughs> you know, I, to me, a, a, a farmer is somebody who does something for their business, mm. for their you know their livelihood i just consider myself a, a family food farmer i choose food over flowers and and that type of thing yeah. so if that makes me a farmer that's cool but
0: i you know, say the, it does the,
2: <laughs> the fact that uh you know when I have people come over and they want to look at my wicking beds and find out more about them. They always leave with something, something that is harvested from that wicking bed, whether it's zucchini or onions or, you know, tomatoes or what have you. I, I think it's important that when somebody shows an interest, you pique their interest with the taste that they can expect as well.
0: Yeah. So is there a size limit to wicking beds?
2: Well, square footage wise not generally the idea that water will only wick up about 11 and a half inches is right. is the uh, the big thing for me so if i have a, a 11 and a half inch reservoir and i have a 10 inch uh soil bed then you know those two combined are less than that that 22 inches so i'm good to go yeah perfect
0: so one of the things that I've never really understood, it's this capillary action. And I have a sense that if you plant seeds in your wicking bed, and you kind of alluded to it with the weed, weed comment a moment ago, but if I plant seed, seeds in my wicking bed, I've got to water it from the top down until they, uh, until they germinate. Is that the case?
2: That is absolutely true. Mm-hmm. But keep in mind that you're not, truly watering, you're just spraying the soil lightly to get down that, that you know, yeah. half an inch, mm-hmm. one inch of, of soil. You don't want to saturate it at all.
0: Mm-hmm. Interesting. So what I hear you saying is that without root action, the capillary action is going to move the water up 11 and a half inches from your basin at the bottom. So these plants are going to be fully watered.
2: That's absolutely true. Wow. There's a, a couple things to go with that. The, the capillary action, you know, is going to move from one molecule, water molecule, to the next, mm-hmm. but also brings it into the root zone. And because the, the roots are pulling in water, that also aids with the water movement through the soil, through the reservoir.
0: Mm-hmm. So do you have to... So I, I'm just thinking about the water in the wicking bed. Do you have to have that water touching the tops of the rocks?
2: No, you do not, because it's it's a process of capillary action and evaporation in the type of bed that I chose to build. Uh-huh. You know, through that action, it's going to raise up from the reservoir into the soil medium, and then the roots are going to help pull it up from that.
0: Wow. Cool. 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 So you have wicking beds in your yard and they're producing quite prolifically now. What do you got growing?
2: Oh, I I do. I have two uh, wicking beds, four feet by eight feet. And then I have uh, grow buckets, which Mm. are like five gallon buckets that I got at a a hardware Hardware store. store. Yeah. What I have growing, I have two different kinds of zucchini. I have okra Melons, cucumbers, onions, tomatoes, kale, and oh my gosh! Wow! I think I got. It.
0: <laughs> so, do you find it easier to grow in a a wicking bed? It sounds like you do.
2: Yeah, I do because you know it's pretty much self sufficient. Once you get it started,
1: mm-hmm.
2: you can be you can walk away from it. It's just totally easy.
0: Cool. So I I know you to be a guy that tinkers a lot with things, and uh, I know that you've been playing a lot with the wicking bed designs. Are you trying something new?
2: Yes, I am. You know, when wicking beds first came about, Colin Austin used a a sponge bed. He put down a liner and then used weeds and things like that and put the, the soil over the top of that. I'm going more towards that, not necessarily with weeds, but using a uh, perforated drain pipe and soil, as opposed to uh, a rock reservoir. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a more shallow bed, but it, we're going to work at that at uh, a friend of mine's house in the next couple of weeks.
0: So rather than rocks in the bottom, you're using the perforated sewer pipes, Correct. And putting them in the bottom, so you'll be, what, four inches, four inches depth in the wicking bed part?
2: That's, that's correct. Mm. And the, the total height of the bed will be no more than, you know, 11 inches or so. Wow. Well, you know, the base of the bed and the top of the soil. Yeah. That creates the, the reservoir in the bottom between the, the void space in the perforated drain pipe uh-huh. and the soil yeah. In between the two pipes. Yeah. Or however many pipes.
0: Cool. 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 So I, all right, I got a question for you. Tell me about a life transforming onion that you grew.
2: <laughs> oh, this was a story that I never thought in my life would ever get out.
0: Oh my gosh. Um, I,
2: <laughs> I had a friend and, and her her husband over for dinner Mm-hmm. And, of course, I love sharing those things that I have grown, and we were doing a salad. And I went out to the garden bed and pulled this this onion. I had the friend come with me, and we cleaned it off. And I just said, well, would you please take a bite of this onion? And, oh, whoa, whoa,
0: whoa, whoa, whoa. You wanted her to take a bite straight from the onion?
2: Absolutely.
0: Oh, my God, that's bold. I don't know that you'd convince me to do that, but... Go. What was your well, experience?
2: Everybody is so used to the pungent, acidic onions that they get from the grocery store that have been the, the juices in them have been concentrated from the drying process. Right. When you pull an onion straight from the ground, not having to to dehydrate anything, you, you get the full benefit of the, the flavor and the moisture and, and all that of an onion. She was very hesitant.
0: (laughs) I would be very hesitant.
2: But she did take a bite, and she was absolutely amazed at the taste of that onion. And the the fact that we used one similar on our salads and and things like that uh, was a life-changing event for her. Wow. um, Because she saw then the power of of food or food that you raised yourself and how different it was. And that led her on a journey back to college, she was going to do something in business or something like that, but Mm -hmm. she changed her direction into food or sustainability to help our society make a a better way of of eating food and growing food and so on and so forth. The benefit of that is you never know what your actions will do for you or somebody else.
0: Big time. Big time. Well, I have to thank you for that because this mystery person that we've been talking about is Janice, our podcast producer. Um, she's a good friend of yours and and I know that you guys talk a lot. And and um, so thanks because she is an extraordinary member on our team.
2: She is an extraordinary person. Yeah. I, I met her while I was teaching and we bonded like brothers and sisters almost instantly. Wow. So we've had a, a decade-long friendship that has has been just blossoming and and learning and it's been great
0: cool cool well, I'm going to shift on you and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed how you overcame that fairy and what you might have learned from it
2: I don't take if I don't strategic something I, I don't take it as a failure mm-hmm. I, I take it as an opportunity to learn something you know I think gardening wise one of the biggest things that I learned is I am really terrible at growing potatoes. <laughs> now I have I have tried bags, I have tried beds, I have tried uh, buckets, I have tried mm-hmm. all kinds of things with potatoes, and I just don't seem to be able to do that. But I'm thinking now, why not try that in my wicking bed?
0: I, that's where I was going with it. So recently we had a home tour. An urban farm tour of Cricket's yard here in town. Did you see her rendition of growing potatoes?
2: I did. I was amazed by that. She used uh, like a fifteen-gallon yep. bucket and a ten-gallon bucket on top of that. Once the plant grew high enough, yep, and then probably I believe a five-gallon bucket on,
0: on top, top of that. that. Yeah.
2: So I'm thinking she should probably have a phenomenal harvest of potatoes. Yeah, we have to get find
0: out yeah we'll have to make sure that she keeps us in the loop on that so just for a little bit more clarity in fact we should take a picture of this we'll have cricket take a picture of it and put it on the show notes page here but what she did is she took a 15 gallon bucket on the bottom and filled it with potatoes or sweet potatoes you could put also in there and then started growing and then she took a 10 gallon bucket cut the bottom off of it added it on top of that once the sweet potatoes or potatoes are growing and then kept them growing up. Uh, and then it did the same thing for a five-gallon bucket on top of that. So it looks like a, a pyramid of potatoes.
2: <laughs> it really does. It, but she made it look beautiful. Yeah. It was like a piece of art.
0: That's one of the things I loved about her space is that it's, it's definitely a beautiful space. She's done a lot of great work there. Oh, you
2: know, she was... She learned a lot from you and the the permaculture guild Uh that was previously here. The things that we can learn from courses like that are just phenomenal. And once we put it into practice and we get better at it, it, it just makes everything better and easier for us.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Pay attention. That's my lesson there. So what do you consider your biggest success?
2: Oh, my gosh. I don't consider successes big or small. I think they're just successes and, mm-hmm. and they're things that I can be proud of. You know, the, I think currently because I learned from Cricket initially about wicking beds and then I did some research with that and then I created my own and the results that I have gotten from that I think are the most significant mm. that I have in a great while. Uh-huh. So if if you call that a success, I think the wicking beds were my
0: success. Beautiful. What drives you?
2: Just the fact that I want to learn more. I want to share more. Uh-huh. You know, I, I love people. I love food. And the way I, I show love a lot of times is through food and how it's prepared. And mm-hmm. if I can have you over for dinner and, and feed you things that I have grown in my garden, oh. uh, it's the love of. Yeah. Uh, food and preparing and all that—that that, that drives me to become a, a better food farmer.
0: Yeah, I'll tell you what: there is nothing better than growing your own food in your yard and eating it, except maybe when you get to feed it to other people.
2: <laughs> that is exactly true. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: So I'm all about education, and I have to know: is there a book that has been influential for you in this process?
2: Honestly, I, I think. Well, other than the Master Gardener Manual, Mm -hmm. which was big for me when I I learned it, I think putting it all together through the permaculture design course, a book called Gaia's Mm. Garden by Toby Hemingway. Yeah. It really puts permaculture in perspective for a residential yard as opposed to some grandiose, you know, big
0: establishment or something. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Toby passed away late last year. Uh, and before he before he did, we were actually able to get him uh, recording his Permaculture City course. So if you're interested in, you know, learning from Toby, we've got the Permaculture City course that he did. Plus, he's he was on our podcast last summer. So just many blessings out to Toby and his family. So what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? I think the the biggest recommendation I would have
2: would be don't be afraid to experiment. Don't be afraid if something doesn't work the first time, learn from that. Mm -hmm. Go on and and make it better until you actually succeed and you thrive on that. And spread your knowledge and the things that you grow and the love that you have and the passion that you have for growing your own food.
0: Mm. (laughs) Amen to that. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Ray. It's been a treat getting to chat with you.
2: Oh, Greg, it has been my pleasure. I I thank you so very much for having me on.
0: Absolutely. Just as an aside, Ray is also our featured farmer on our website, and he has written an article on wicking beds for our blog. So you can find both of those links in the show notes page. And you can find the show notes page from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash wicking bed. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. Do you want to save money at the grocery store, eat more organic, whole foods, cultivate food security, and feel more connected to the earth? If so, then growing your own food is a no-brainer. You wouldn't believe how many people come to me claiming that they can't grow their own food Remember, that's garden to 44222 or iwanttogarden.com.
1: We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org.